0: Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and mental health and how we as a church can address the needs of others and take care of ourselves in the process. We're so glad you're tuning in with us today. Are you experiencing hardship or anxiety in the midst of COVID 19? Do you feel like you're left with no right decisions to make? In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the hard decisions many of us have had to face in this pandemic, the anxiety that it brings, but also what it means to know that God is still with us.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Not Alone podcast. I am joined by Michael McCord and Lindsey Geist. I'm Evan DeYoung. Once again, very, very excited to present you with two of my favorite people on the planet as we get to explore three people's own fears in a very public forum that they did not expect to be sharing we are so excited to be here with you again for another week. I'll let Michael and Lindsay introduce each other. Michael, you introduce Lindsay. Lindsay, you introduce Michael.
2: Switch. Oh, wow. Folks, you are, you are lucky because today you are in the presence of the Reverend Lindsay Geist. She's not only an ordained Methodist minister, but she's also a licensed social worker, which means she can work your social end of your life for you. So just give her a call if ever. Oh, is that's not what a social worker is. Oh, gosh. All this stuff. social workers
1: worked your social schedule for you. I thought you were like a dating coach for, but for friends. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yes. That's what I went to school with worked? for forever.
2: I don't know what happens. Anyway, folks, Lindsay Geist, Welcome. <laughs>
3: With that kind of introduction, I um, feel honored to get to introduce you, Michael. Uh, this is Reverend Michael McCord. He is a United Methodist minister as check. Okay, he's making a big check mark, and does all important things with uh, college students and college ministry all across North and South Georgia. Does that make you sound fancy enough? You do all the big important things helping college you students in college as ministry in
2: Georgia. Just get it. Oh. You
3: know, yeah, I'm know, not that good at that. that. Yeah. Thank you.
2: I, Thank you for that warm welcome. I feel
1: I feel appreciated.
3: I mean, Evan, are you you don't ever get a big introduction.
1: I don't need one because it is not about me this time. The rest of my life and everybody else's lives can revolve around me, but this podcast this is about your collective wisdom. So as we are here today on the new opening day of baseball, I guess yesterday was the opening day of baseball. But it's the opening day of Braves baseball, which I did not care about at all until last year when Cobb County built a stadium down the street for me and doubled my taxes. And I said, you know what? I'm probably paying for it. I should probably pay a little more attention. So boom, you got me. Uh, so we are excited to be here. We are in the midst of wonderful global pandemic that we are all really, at this point, just really having a great time with. Uh, It's a real hoot. And we've really jumped the gun here on our episode (laughs) list. Normally what we do is that we have to have a list of topics. We'll kind of prep a little bit and have some research done. But we are in a situation that is kind of unlike any other. And there are things that happen. It's the story
3: of like all of these months that we could use the tagline. This is unlike any other.
1: It's true. It's true. So there's such a thing as a national narrative, right? And a national narrative gets shaped by the news. And everybody says that depending on your news source, you. This is something that you want to listen to. You should ignore this, yada, yada, yada. But when we talk about national narrative, I think there's a part of it where it says literally everyone is talking about this. And it's not necessarily a current event. It's not something that has happened. When the collective group of people get together and everyone has to deal with something, it becomes a national narrative. And the conversations this week really have come to a head around school and bound sending kids back to school. Everyone is talking about it there. It seems like there's no good answer. There's no good information. There's no evidence on one side or the other that seems particularly compelling either way. Both sides of it seem like a terrible decision. We're having to reap the just desserts of us creating a system that is Pretty much a failure to deal with a lot of different things because we have to deal with food insecurity because schools are the ones that have to deal with food insecurity now. So we feel like if we don't send kids back to school, people aren't going to eat. But schools probably shouldn't be the ones to deal primarily with food insecurity. That's a food insecurity issue, right? We have both parents who need to work, so school needs to be in daycare, but that's maybe an economic system failure, not necessarily a failure of the school system. So there's a lot of complex pressures going into this decision as to why people want to send their kids back to school. And it seems like no matter what, we have to. To make a decision together as different school districts to send or not to send these kids back which doesn't even count the health and safety of the teachers and what should happen there so it's not a great situation and it just seems like there's no great way for us to make a good decision here now here's the issue we do not know what the best decision is when it comes to schools and sending kids back to schools and keeping teachers and and our and our childcare workers safe. We have no idea what that is. We are never going to be able to fix that issue in our conversations. But what we're presented with here is a horribly, difficult decision with a lot of compounding variables that is exhausting to think about, which is a situation that we're all going to find ourselves in over and over and over again in life. And in this podcast, we talk a lot about extrapolating the life lessons and the emotional and mental health challenges that are going to arise from situations that we're going to find ourselves in over and over and over again. So if we can use the challenges, and yeah, we'll probably talk about this a little bit, the specifics, but if we can use this challenge that we're going to find ourselves in as our framework for how we want to look at something that we will find ourselves in this situation again. You will have decisions in your life for the rest of your life where you look down the barrel of it and say, "I don't like either one of these. I don't like any way, any path that we're going to do this." But I have to get through it. I have to make a decision here. Non-decision is not an option. And the emotional toll that it takes is something that I think we have to understand. So, Lindsay, Michael,
3: that was an impressive. I feel like it was at the just- beginning
2: took the, everything that's happening in between my ears, um, like everything in my brain. And you just, and that's how rapid all of my thoughts are right now about whether or not I should send my kids back to school, whether or not I should tell our Wesley foundations to have physical in-person worship or not. If I should take the responsibility and say, no, let's just, let's just go online. Let's be safe. It's all of that just going over and over Almost that quickly, I feel like, and all those competing priorities and competing decisions, and then there's so many people who are making decisions around me that influence my ability to make a good decision for myself.
1: And so I feel absolutely. Stuck. I, I, I think that's that's exactly it. So, Lindsay, can you just kind of break down for us what that process is where you feel that emotional weight? You know, when you think about something that just doesn't seem like a good decision either way, and then your like, body just feels heavy? Like, for me, I guess I carry it, and it seems like in the back of my head and my neck, like when I think about something for so long, maybe that's because I think about everything like this, like... Like, this is my thinking pose. I'm hunching my shoulders like Quasimodo. So when I, when I, my, my wife walks into the house and I'm doing this pose, she's like, oh, he's been thinking. Like, I'm like,
3: that's a good stare down you're giving the rest of us right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But what is that? Where does that come from? Like, like physiologically, I feel like there's a physiological, like, like an actual physical manifestation of the weight that I feel on my body when I have to think about these situations.
3: Well, all, I mean, our minds and our bodies are always connected and we don't like to think of them as interconnected. We think of them as two totally separate parts of us. Uh, but our bodies are designed to serve as an alert system to us. So sometimes if we can't fully process it in our brains and um, name our feelings and identify everything, our bodies will take it on and try to uh, carry it or work it out through our bodies. That's why when you're really stressed, you often feel it in your neck and shoulders. Um, Your shoulders normally sit pretty high. When you feel anxious, you might get a little short of breath. Um, Your heart might race a little bit fast. It's our bodies attempting to carry it for us or try to work it out to relieve the heaviness in our minds.
1: It's exhausting.
3: Yeah, I mean it's absolutely exhausting and I wish that there was a magic switch to make it all go away. But it's our body's attempt to uh synthesize and handle everything when our brains can't handle it on its own.
1: I think everybody makes decisions differently and everybody evaluates information and uh, some people like to make pros and cons lists, some people kind of go with their gut and it seems like Collective decision making is something that is really challenging. And I feel like the two of you have a lot of experience with helping groups get together and make good collective decisions and understanding the factors and the different perspectives of the stakeholders involved. I've I've been in meetings and I've talked with you enough that this seems like something that you guys have a lot of experience with. Can, can we break down like the social dynamic of why there seems to be so much friction? Going on with with this decision, and and what that general dynamic is in like a group setting, whether it's a church or an organization or a family in conflict, the dynamic there seems to run pretty similarly across those different groups.
3: It has to do with values and variables at play. Um, so, first of all, in all of the values, different things are d- important in a in a different level to different people. Um, So some people trying to even come up with a good example. Um, The best example are, you know, maybe around what neighborhood do you live in? Or what friendships do you have? Do you value school systems? Do you value what roles people have at work? Do Mm -hmm. you value you, when you're trying to buy a house, like, do you want to really a lot of land? Do you want to be in a certain part of town? Mm -hmm. What's the most important thing to you? Well, when it comes to even schooling for our kids, we have different values of what's important to us. When a group of people does not share all of the same values, you're going to go about decisions differently. Mm -hmm. And so unless we all came to the table, uh valuing the exact same thing we're probably going to come up with different solutions mm-hmm. along the way and and then talking about variables there are different influencing variables in every person's life so uh With the school decision, for example, some people have the ability to stay at home with their kids and work from home or have, uh, and some people can't, and they're an essential worker and have to go Mm -hmm. into the office. Some people have the financial resources to hire somebody in to support their kids' schooling. Some people do not. Some people really don't have the ability to feed their children and need their kids to go back Mm. to school. Some families do not have that. And so those are just a couple examples right. of it all. You then you start looking at children's learning abilities and skills. So some children with learning disabilities might need a more specialized teacher to help them learn or a teacher that can sit right next to them and walk through everything. Well, that, those things may or may not be possible Mm -hmm. with new physical distancing standards and how schools would be set up. But it also means that maybe a kid would do better in, in person versus being at home. There's all of these factors along the way, uh, which means that we're going to arrive at very different decisions because of these different factors.
1: What I'm hearing a lot and, and as I'm thinking as you're sharing is our episode on kind of empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're laying out like the the values and variables and kind of like, like starting with that as a way to understand as a way to foster empathy in collective decision-making understanding people's values and variables are gonna be in different places. Um, And that and that makes sense. I guess empathy would be something that is really important to approach collective decision making like this with uh, in seeking to understand first before we just try and exert our own values and variables. Um, and, And that does make sense because that takes a lot of energy and that does help to me break down some of the exhaustion factor because it is a lot of work when you care about something to stop that freight train of emotion that can come forth when somebody else maybe is presenting that they don't care about it as much as you do. And I guess there's like a selfishness, like a me first mentality that I'll always run into where I'm like, I don't think they care about me. I don't think they care about what I think. Like why aren't they being considerate of all these other factors?
3: And, and empathy, I think that's exhausting. And and empathy means that we come to the table saying, I honor that you might have different needs mm. than I do right now. I look at everybody making these hard choices and they do have each family system, each friend that I know, each family member that I know has very different needs. And um, we need to respect that any choice that people are making right now um I'm proud of them for making hard choices Mm -hmm. because none of these choices feel easy or clear or obvious um, or perfect. And I want to honor that people are making really hard choices right now.
1: I, I think that everyone needs to hear that. And I just don't think we're saying that to each other enough. I think that, and Michael, I think you do a very good job of this as well, of you lead with like affirmation on identity and this idea that like, it, it, and you know what? I think if you haven't heard that from anybody, if you're listening and you, you haven't heard that, like you're dealing with some really challenging things and I'll say for the three of us, and Michael would say this in a way that just blows my mind every time, but we are proud of you for approaching and dealing with the challenges that are in your life right now with work,
3: mm-hmm. with
1: school, with managing family relationships. The fact that you're even thinking about these things and trying to be intentional and struggling with these decisions and struggling with people, you're doing You're doing a good job. Like, we're not going to make the best decisions always. We're not going to not experience pain. It's not going to be something that's easy. But I think we we just need to hear that we're doing what we can. And the fact that you're here and we're together and we're listening in this moment, we're, we're proud of you for being intentional about trying to do something to make a difference and make a change in the situation and the situation of your immediate circle, whether it's your family, your friends, the decisions of wrestling with who to get together with, to distance, to wear masks, to not wear masks in certain situations, quarantine pods, sending kids to school. This is ter- this is horrible. And we're really proud of you for wrestling with that decision. And if you haven't heard that from anybody else, hear it now
2: i think you did that very well i i feel i feel better i'm sitting here thinking mm-hmm. i feel a little bit better about because i'm telling you I, I i think i'm the only one on the on in this podcast who has children in school and um it's, it's all consuming
1: you know and it's like <laughs> you laughing at me I, we, Lindsay and I both made a face at Michael when he exerted that he was the only one with children, we sneered at him. What I appreciate though, what I was going to say is I appreciate
2: the empathy you've shown me because I voice in our conversations like, and you, and you don't have to deal, you don't have to make, but you have worked to understand the plight that I'm in in this mm-hmm. process of like deciding what I, what's best for my family, what's best for my children, what's best for my wife's place of work where she's senior adults who could die if we share COVID with them. And you guys have listened patiently. And I think one of the things that I'm I'm sort of grateful for are people like you who take time, who don't necessarily have to take time talking about this. And it's not something that probably consumes your every day of thinking in the way that it does me, um, but you still make room for, for me to be able to vent and do that. And I think I've seen bubbles of that in other places too. Like mm-hmm. uh, I was telling you guys earlier today that, I mean, this morning I was at a bank signing some documents and a the bank manager found I was in education and then just wanted to start asking me what I, you know, all the stuff, all the decisions he's had to make for his kids and worried about whether that the right decisions or the wrong decisions and asked me what I thought and all these, you know, and a couple of weeks ago I was on the phone with, a, a sales of another banker for uh, something else. Um, I don't know. I'm not always on the phone with bankers. I know that sounds really strange. <laughs> refinancing his house, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, that was for refinancing today was for opening a new account. Um, but anyway, it's just one of the, but both of these people who are perfect strangers to me, they don't know me when they find out that I have some connection to education, wanted to spend a sizable amount of time talking about what we should do. And so What I like about that is, is, is I think that's a good model for way we should be living with one another that, that to be, to be open, to talk about how hard it is, and then seek understanding by trying to understand someone else. I think that really helps um, you clarify who you are, what you're going through is when you try to verbalize that to somebody else, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, because otherwise I'm going to be like Evan's opening monologue and just those same words are just going to continue to go in my head over and over and over and over and if I never try to like to boil them down and then say them out loud to somebody they just keep running up there and, mm-hmm. and they don't make much sense to me not that I'm not saying your your opening monologue didn't make sense it made perfect sense I'm just saying if you have all those words running around and you never talk about it
1: you have not what? you have not wounded me <laughs>
3: does say to me, though, uh, the fact that multiple people are stopping you and asking you your thoughts based on your experience. People are hungry for answers and finding the correct choice. Um, when people are really struggling to make these hard decisions, and so they're looking everywhere for somebody with clarity, tell me what to do. And or almost to say, day-
2: yeah, that's a good decision. You right, did a good job. That
3: too. That like, too. But to Kevin's
2: point, you made a good choice.
3: hmm I was I was watching a video on Facebook the other day of a pediatrician and it was on the entire pediatrician office page. And the pediatrician was saying like how many phone calls they've been getting from parents saying okay, what's the right answer? And the the woman said, uh, the doctor goes, well, what the right answer is, is the one that you have chosen for your family. There is no perfect answer. Hmm. The right one is the one that when you have looked at all the information, you have made the hard decision about. That is the best answer for you and your family. And that may not look the same for every family, but it doesn't have to. The correct decision is the one that works best for y'all.
2: Here's another thing too uh, along with that is uh, this is one of the I guess the learnings that I've pulled out of doing consulting work for for a number of years is there's a belief I think in organizational psychology at least there's sort of this belief that we make decisions and we have to stick with them. And the reason Mm -hmm. that happens is like a company might spend thousands of dollars with consultants and outside people or lots, a, a full year or months working on a plan. And then they, they launch it and it doesn't go well, but because they put so much effort into it, they feel like it has to be the final decision because they went through that process. They paid the money, they did the work and then it didn't work um and what i what i have learned in in my work with organizations is to tell the organization that changing is good too responding mm-hmm. to you know so if you start down a path and you realize it's not the right path for you that's okay and i know that there i know that my school system is putting a lot of pressure on us that we have to make a, ch- a decision and you can't change it till the end of the semester well that's just i mean the reality is that's not true. Um, I know that's what they want, but <laughs> if, if you start off in-person and it's just not working, or if you start online and it's not working and there's still another option, then you, you can change. You can make some adjustments. It's okay to change your mind after and, you've made the decision.
3: And what's been interesting is how we kind of skew that understanding. It's okay to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, to Sometimes we let it paralyze us. Of Like we try to remake the decision a hundred times that uh, we go, okay, was that really the right choice? Maybe I should rethink about it. Um, And then we get caught in this loop of redoing the work over and over and over. And I say that because I think there's a difference in getting caught in this loop and remaking the same decision. And saying to ourselves, when we make a decision, this is the decision and I'm moving forward. And then at some point, if you get introduced different information or Mm -hmm. new information, you then get to make a new decision, which it may be staying with the old decision, or it may be making a slightly different, modified decision. But you're no longer just making the same old decision Mm -hmm. over and over each time new information comes in you get to make a new choice again and you're not undoing old decisions and, or getting and, caught in it
2: and i guess what i what i want to say with that is that that does not you choosing to pivot or to regroup or to choose a new direction is not a sign that you made a bad decision correct I mean, I think that's the loop. The other, the end of the end of the loop mm-hmm. is I'm yeah. unwilling to change directions because that would mean that my decision was wrong in the first place. And so I'm just gonna. I know people who will just, as as Evan like, tuck in your shoulders and put your head down and just plow through because that's the decision you made. Um, I think. I think there's. I know there's a lot of nuance between. I don't know that helps anybody, but it it's, it's it's you know it's okay to make a decision. And, and you find out that it's not really the best one and you need to pivot when you well, find and, new information and new experiences.
3: And being kind to yourself and saying kind of a mantra, I made the best decision with the information that I had. What I thought was the best decision with the information that I had. Sometimes further along, we will get different information or we will learn more about something. And at that point, honoring ourselves and being kind to ourselves.
1: I think this is something that I, we experience really often. And I've experienced this a lot in my life and in conversations. It you know, might like kind of my internal dialogue and conversations with friends and families and students and work conversations is this idea that we have to like reconcile decisions that we made in the past that ca- are causing us to experience challenge or consequence now. I think that's really, really hard. And that you have these moments where we have these like great regrets and they're sometimes they're little and sometimes they're large. Like we have little ones like, oh, I should have organized my week differently. Or maybe I shouldn't have bought this or shouldn't have been so hard on somebody. Or then we have these moments of great reflection about like our life path. You know, we get to a point like, maybe I should have majored in something different like i have a lot of friends in education that are like they're getting beat up by the system and realizing that they're not valued and that they value the teaching experience more than our society does and that there's going to be real life consequences potentially for their income and long term livelihood especially now that they're being asked to go back into situations that they may not feel comfortable and they're like did i make the right decision here how do i re- like there's potentially some challenges and consequences coming up and i'm reconciling should i have people experience this in their marriages They're like I- maybe i shouldn't have gotten married like maybe like and these things break us internally because there's there we just can't manage it all going forward and there just seems like these moments where there's this like thread that gets pulled and the kind of the house of cards of our internal structure come tumbling down when we stare down some of these decisions that we have to make. And I don't really know what to do when we all experience those moments, but I think that we'll all have that point in our lives where that happens. Lindsay, in that moment where we feel that and our past seems to come back to haunt us, even if we made a good decision in the moment, how do we like, how do you reconcile how you feel with that idea of being kind to yourself when you don't feel like being kind to yourself?
3: That's a hard one that I wish that I had a magic answer for. I think it's okay for us to look back on some of our choices and name that we could have done those differently Mm -hmm. or sometimes even wish that we had there is a difference between naming that and owning that and Hmm. starting to act like we have access to a time machine and we have the ability to change all of those things. Sometimes it's about saying like it is what it is and maybe I would have made a different choice.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, But how can I accept where I am now? And move forward from here. Because it's not helpful for us to wake up every day beating ourselves up about choices that we have no ability to change now. Again, Mm -hmm. we do not own a time machine. Mm -hmm. We cannot send ourselves exactly back to that moment to undo that choice. Um, And so what can we do presently?
1: Can, Can you explain naming versus owning?
3: Okay, so naming a choice I would describe as uh, I don't even have really good words for it. Um, Simply saying like, I did make that decision. This is the decision I made actually laying it out there, naming it uh, of giving it some sort of like label.
1: Being
2: able to describe it, being able to describe it. it. I think it's really, really helpful, especially if you do that verbally. Yes. Yeah. To, to put that, we talked we'll talk a lot about, about, about there's a, there's different processes in your, you know, that between between what you write and think and what you say. And, mm-hmm. and by connecting those processes together, it becomes more real. And, you, and you're sharing it with someone else. When you have to put it in words, in a coherent set of words to somebody else, mm-hmm. it's different than if it's just running in your head.
3: And, and naming it is saying, like, I did make that choice. Or, even sometimes we passively choose things. I didn't, I let that choice happen. Yeah. Um, that's naming it. Owning it is um, going even a step further besides just describing what happened, saying like, I actively made that choice and this was my doing or my influence um, and almost some acceptance in all okay. of that, of our role in it. So not just saying that a choice happened, but uh, accepting our role and identifying our role in it all is owning it,
1: mm-hmm.
3: that I influenced it this way, or I actively made that choice or even like I um, let that choice happen versus just this is the choice that happened. Mm hmm.
1: It seems like the way that we pass judgment on each other in society and the way that we like to punish people for making wrong decisions might have some kind of underlying effect for our what happens internally when we think about choices. Because I think we wep- I think we weaponize mistakes as humans in, in order to hurt and judge other people. Uh, and I'm wondering to what extent that perpetuation of that in our own minds affects this kind of freezing and stress and weight that we feel when it comes to complex decisions that don't have a good one, right? Like some choices are obvious, but it seems like there's a compounding societal factor to what's happening internally as well.
3: I mean, I start thinking about how we don't often use the language of mistakes these days. Um, we only use, uh, language of failure and not in a healthy way. We don't mm-hmm. talk about ha- failure being a good thing or a learning area. Um, you're either perfect and succeeding or you're failing. It's this dichotomous, w- black or white, one or the other idea Pass, versus, fail. Yeah. versus what would happen if we just made a mistake. We, um, or made a choice that we would have made differently or learned from. Uh, that doesn't say anything about our character and our being. It, it helps us separate that those choices aren't defining of us. They are simply choices that we have made. Um, I think sometimes we start to internalize that the success or failure of our choices represent who we are as a person. That if my choice doesn't succeed, mm. then I must not be succeeding versus um, I talk lots uh, in these podcasts about kind of like neutral uh, feelings, neutral thoughts, everything, that things just exist. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
3: what would it be like to think about it as neutral before we place judgment Mm. there? Oh, I think that may be one
2: one of the more helpful yeah, it is complicated, but I think one of the more helpful tools that I think we could start to incorporate in decision making. And I think I think I would love for us to talk a little bit more about how we make decisions, not just like all the ramifications around them and, right. and, the, you know, and, and the feelings about the process of making decisions, but kind of talk a little bit, maybe maybe talk about some some practices we could use to help people make decisions. But but that that idea of neutralizing things, uh, because for for me when I'm in a difficult decision, I think I tend to amp up what the ramifications of that decision are. For example, today I was displaying, I was describing someone was asking me what our decision was. And I was explaining that my wife works with senior adults. And, and then I was like, you know what, if I made the decision to send them back to school and and then we share COVID with someone and someone dies. I mean, it was like this, like all of a sudden my decision about whether my children are going to go to school in person or not going to school is about me, us, right? killing some senior adult because we made a decision that has these, you know, which I, that's, a, I think, a, an example of the ends in which we can hyper react to the process of decision making. So we, we see, it, I, I encounter, for example, a lot of college students who think, who when they're going through a decision making process, they think about the worst possible outcome. Uh of all the decisions that they have not the maybe more neutral outcomes or the alternatively good outcomes that could come out of it we just think often in the absolutes of the worst
3: we also act as though one choice has direct correlation 15 steps from now
2: exactly yes Um, yes and
3: so I, I think about your reference to college students I think about how much pressure we put on college students to say, what is your major going to be? And that is going to be the thing you will do forever. For the Um, rest of
2: your life. And you have to make a decision when you're 18.
3: Statistically, the people that actually use their major by the time they're in their 30s and 40s and 50s is pretty low. That they usually have morphed in some way, Mm -hmm. shape, or form to something slightly different also because we make decisions with the information we have going into college. You might not know that there's, you know, thousands and thousands of different types of jobs. Mm-hmm. You might only have been exposed to about six options. So you pick one of those six, then you get out in the work world and you start your, learning. Your parents may have
2: narrowed that down to two choices of electronic engineering or Mechanical engineering. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, and we do what we know. I mean, I went to college studying what I knew and what I liked. I went to college and studied math. That is literally nothing that I do right now. Um, but it's it's because that's what I knew. And I loved, Evan, your sure. face is like, what in the world? Sure. Did you never know that about me? We
0: talked about it. I just forgot.
3: Yeah. So, but I also think about like, it didn't screw up my decision now, at least I perceive it did not. Uh Um, Y'all may feel differently, but it was a decision that I made with the information that I had. Do I wish that maybe I had done a few different things? Possibly. But I also think about how much that decision also gifted me a few other things. Decisions don't happen in a vacuum.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and uh, there can be lots of other steps in between.
1: Can can, can I maybe just toss out an idea and and see what you guys think as far as a distinction? Because I think that there there has to be something different though in the way that we talk about decisions with permanent and irreversible consequences compared to decisions that are more process-oriented. And I think that this is, the, and we, we're going to, we're potentially going to enter into some territory that uh, it gets me frustrated. And it's, and it's this, it's when there's a platform and there's an opinion on something that we talk about. You see this a lot in churches with like political opinions where someone uses the same platform, the same tone and the same authority that they talk about the, character of God as described in scripture as who God is and then they pivot immediately into the this is why you should make this decision politically or for your family or socially and this is because this is who God is naturally you have to be this um, and that's very frustrating to me because i don't i don't think it's appropriate use of a of platform so as i as i talk about this and as i bring this up i think that when we look at like mental health and faith and mental health and the way that they interact, there's a lot of just like a, a conjecture and opinion that I, that I think this is not like, this is not in the same framework of everybody has mental health and it's important for you to understand what your mental health is. That to me is a core belief that I think that everyone should have. Everyone should understand that they have mental health. I think that that is like something that can be researched. It's observable. It's sci- it's more scientific than this kind of statement that I'm going to, make here, which is this. It seems like when the consequence of decision or some of the ramifications are permanent and irreversible in that you cannot apologize to get it back because, for example, someone's life has ended and you can't go back and get that back, you're in a different category of decision-making than we are talking about what school should I send my kids to? What house should I buy? And it seems like there's a different gravity and tolerance for risk that we should have when we approach decisions of that caliber. Is
2: that crazy or? I don't know. But I mean, the thing is, is as a parent trying to decide about school, it feels like I'm trying to choose, like, is my child going to get sick and be one of the f- the, the the small fraction of, of young people who, who are disastrously hurt by this disease? Or is it, you know, again, it, it's like, it, that's the trouble with it is that we can turn, every decision can have the gravity of life or death, it seems, I mean, if you, if you, pull, if you pull it apart enough, um, it's the same like too, it's like uh, choosing, I have parents uh, all the time ask about choosing between private school and public school. And, you know, am I gonna give my child a better chance Uh, to have a better college experience, have a better job. Like they feel like that the whole decision about where their child goes to school, it determines their entire future. So it's like, it's hard. That's the hard part about is sort of detangling, um, you know, the gravity of all of our decisions.
3: I think the best thing that I heard once is, uh, and I can't remember who said this or the exact phrasing. So credit of wherever it is due. Um, <laughs> but, credit but, to you, individual. To That's you, how I write Whoever all my wants to claim it. The end of, Cheers it, to you. the end of
1: person who said this. <laughs> but I think take, not taking credit for the idea is amazing. Like, like, it's not worth not sharing. I wish I could cite you. I can't. I just want to make sure everybody knows this ain't me. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. But,
3: <laughs> the decisions that we make that we believe are the most monumental, um, we don't know kind of how different those will be from the next decision that may not be Hmm. monumental. Like we don't have the capacity to know which one of these decisions will change your life forever. And that's just really stuck with me is that the things we think are really big decisions and the things we think are smaller decisions aren't always long-term right. that way. And so we put all this pressure on these long, big decisions when sometimes we even negate the small ones because of it. We're like, oh, that's just a small choice. That's not a big deal. That's not going to hmm. be the life-changing one versus what if we reduce the amount of power we're giving some decisions and elevate some of the power we're giving other decisions there to start saying anything could happen from any of these choices. (laughs) And yes, do some decisions feel bigger than others? Yes, but also trying to help ourselves and some are, but also trying to help ourselves to kind of think that like this one decision won't be the only make or break that there'll be a lot of other influencing things. And maybe one of your small decisions could change your life too.
1: Hmm. It seems like at the core of what, when people describe anxiety and like, like an anxiety disorder is when we allow the paralysis of that type of high gravity decision-making to apply to the uncertainty of mundane, low weight tasks and activities in life. And um, that seems to, to me to be something that I've heard you talk about before. Uh, as one of those kind of indicators. And I really love that kind of ability to differentiate. Like for some of us, we need to say little decision, low consequence, make a decision. We're at the Chick-fil-A drive-through. I don't need your life story. I just need to know what chicken you want to eat. Right. And all then of all of it, I would like all of it. been on a spicy deluxe kick. Let me tell you this tasty.
3: I miss us being together in real life and eating meals together.
1: Oh, yeah. That's true. I have lost a lot of weight. <laughs> so
2: thinking about coping mechanisms and, and processes for making decisions, I think one of the things that you're pointing to that I think is really helpful is in, in my scenario. And I think in like all of our all, all of us who are trying to make decisions about the fall is that not only is it...
3: Not not like the Christian fall, like fall as in the season.
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, Sorry, that, I feel the that, need okay. to
3: nuance in the type of podcast that we are.
2: <laughs> you know, in, in every decision, as Les, as Leslie, ah, it's Friday, as Lindsay suggests, every decision has additional decisions that come after it. Mm-hmm. And so, so this whole decision about whether to send your kids to school or not is not only a decision... There are five or six other decisions that come after that decision, and so one 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 way to approach decision making is to, as Evan suggests, I think, is to to take to take all the decisions that need to be made around this particular, because what's driving the challenge that we're facing is anxiety. I mean, if we, if we peel back the the onion and all of this, sure. is we have this underlying anxiety about the uncertainty of the world right now. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of this stew of anxiety, we have to make some critical decisions that are going to require us to make some additional critical decisions. And so what would be maybe helpful, maybe a little overwhelming, but also a little helpful is to just list all the decisions that you feel like you have to need, you have to do because at least, and I may be just projecting here is that sometimes again, I keep all the decisions in my head and it, it feels more and more overwhelming the more decisions I know I have to make, and I just let them sit there.
1: Yeah, compounding. Yes, yeah,
2: right, right, and you and 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 so you get stuck. So if, as you suggest, Evan, maybe if you take these decisions, this 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 wall of decisions that need to be made, and then you can look at them, and say, okay, here are some easy decisions. These these don't have huge ramifications. Let me just handle these. Let me let me divide these into sort of bigger decisions and smaller decisions. Um, and, and just start to just take some of the pressure away and break up your process of just, so go, mm-hmm. go take a walk and think about one decision and come back and, and, and lay out what you think you might do. Um, because I think as long as we sit in our heads and I think that maybe that's a running theme of this, of this podcast is that the more we try to do life by ourselves, internalize all of our decision-making internalize the, the anxiety that we have about making the decisions. And then, uh, and I think probably one of the more powerful things is feel shame,
1: mm-hmm.
3: pre
2: almost preeminent shame about mm-hmm. the decision that you're going to make. And you, so you're thinking cultural shame, like, are people going to look at you like, Oh, you chose to keep your kids at home. Is that because you don't believe this or that, or you decided to send your kids to school or what are you being selfish? Because you, you want, want your kids out of your house so you can work. Like it's, it's like this cultural shame that sits on upon you, even before you make the decision. And then, you know, it's possibly looming after. So it's like, if you try to hold all of that together and then make a good decision for yourself and for your family and for your community, you're going to be stuck. And whatever decision you make, you're going to feel terrible. Because you've tried to do it all by yourself and you've never dealt with all the, the melu of of feelings that live inside of you as you're trying to go through this. So so finding people that you can talk with, that you trust, that you can you can name these these decisions that need to be made and then walk through them together, I think
1: the healthier we will all be. I think that's an amazing quote. If you don't change the process and externalize some of your decision making, you're gonna feel horrible about whatever decision you make.
3: Hmm. It makes me so grateful for y'all. I mean, there's so many times that the three of us have dialogued offline, not on the recorded portion of this podcast, um, about decision making, about how we're navigating life. I mean, we've always, in the time that we've known each other, we've talked lots about navigating life, but especially since March we have checked in with each other about how are you navigating life? Okay. I'm trying to make this choice. How do I do this? What do you Mm -hmm. think? Um, That has been so valuable. Um, It's made me feel it's, it's helped take the pressure off some of the decisions, but it's also made me not feel alone in as many choices that I've made.
1: I completely agree. I I think that that idea that the relationships around us empower us and that in the midst of our own decision-making, it's a great opportunity for us to ask, how am I empowering people around me to be encouraged and grow and feel able to be supported in the decisions that they're making? I think is a, a really, cause a lot of the time we don't, we don't care about something until it affects us. And you know what? I think that one of the great failures of uh, our society is that we, we tend, we tend to just judge people for that, that we just, we don't ever get anything done. Sometimes we're just worried about passing judgment on the next person or the next group or the other, whoever they may be um instead of trying to accomplish something we just try and pick at it rather than to to focus on empowerment and so you know it's like until people are like well you never gave money to cancer research until you knew somebody that had cancer so that makes you that makes you a bad person right these ways that we pass judgment because we weren't aware as if we're somehow able to walk through life having this full sensor array of ability to understand all the complex needs that exist in society and that everyone should be aware at all times how to deal with them. I think it's one of my major criticisms of like a modern progressive ideology. Not that there's anything wrong with a modern progressive ideology, but that they, they weaponize awareness and it, doesn't allow people a path to grow and you it forces people into a corner because they didn't know something and then immediate judgment is passed on them so it doesn't leave room for people to grow and i think we need progressivism as as a force in our society because we have to be asking good questions and especially within the church it's very frustrating to watch that happen because i think that when we move to this place where we feel like our human experience shapes our view of God and the way that we represent God to each other is that we represent the judgment of God to one another. And that's in the back of our minds. When we make decisions, it exhausts the thing that's supposed to provide relief, you know, like, like the, the very thing that's supposed to give us comfort and empowerment becomes the place of greatest stress. And so how knowing that the image of God that we have is shaped by the people and the experiences and the reality around us. When it comes to decision-making, what do you think and what do we see in, in scripture in the way that God describes himself about how he feels about our decision-making? Because I feel like the judgment aspect of God gets hammered home a lot in modern Western American Christianity. And I think that in the back of my mind, when I make decisions, I feel like, is this a decision that God's going to judge me for? And I I've become very legalistic in the way that I think about that. And I think it affects my life and my faith. Mm. I think there are,
2: I think I grew up looking particularly at the Hebrew scriptures, the the old Testament um, as kind of this judgmental God that, that, that that God is judging. Uh, And I think you certainly could read it that way they're there certainly a way to read it is is seeing this this um judging God who's observing all of our behavior and rendering justice on us uh, and 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 I think there's a there's a way to to do that and I think there's there are some faith Christian faith traditions that um, put a lot of gravity in the judgment of God and so I can see that those individuals who grew up in kinds of those systems in the back of their mind, think every decision they make, God is putting some, some marbles in, in a jar somewhere. And it's either you, it was a good one or they're taking the marbles out and it's a bad one. And at the end, if you know, you you get some kind of whether you're good or bad at the end, you know, as, as I've read more and as I've studied and, and particularly in seminary, um, to to reimagine the story of, of Scripture in um, the arc of God's interaction with humanity is this constant sort of um, God seems to be very present and real in our lives as humans and we we tend to make good decisions and, and Things are going well for us and then we get comfortable with that going well And then we begin to make decisions that are self-destructive um, and we seem to we seem to be further away But with the reality, as you read scriptures, God is there in the midst of the most horrific decisions humans have made. God is there in the most wonderful, blissful times where everything seemed light and easy. God was there. And then there's this running idea that I am with you. Throughout the scriptures, this constant reminder that I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, and then then you have the Emmanuel, the Jesus, the the God with us, manifest in us. This idea that God's extent to, of, of God's desire to be with us physically in a way that we can see it and touch it and feel it, and and Jesus is in the midst of all the horrible decisions, um, that that are made, even his own judas's betrayal of him judas is sitting there at the dinner table with him and he knows this has happened and what and and yet he's still there he's with us um and i think what could be a helpful reframing of our theology is that god's desire to be with us is stronger than god's desire to punish us Mm -hmm. and that actually the punishments that we experience in life are often just some of the decisions we make and, the, and the, the, the decisions that draw us away from people, other people draw us away from community. I mean, if you see it happen over and over again, where there's bad moments in humanity, it's where we try to own everything ourselves and walk up and pack up our stuff and go at it alone. And we end up finding ourselves in really bad situations. And so God is with us. We're
1: not alone. I feel like I really need to sit in that for a few years. <laughs>
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I need to sit in the, the hot tub of God is with us.
3: I feel yeah. like a lot of what we do here is sitting in some hard things or sitting in some um, thoughts that are uh, just beautiful revelations. For us. Hmm. If this podcast does nothing else, it reminds us that we're not alone, that we have each other and we have God, um, and invites us to sit in uh, these beautiful, hard, life-changing, full of feelings moments.
1: Amen. So...
2: I don't know where you are, whoever you are listening to this. And it's been fantastic, by the way. We've receiving some of your emails and your your posts on Facebook and um your personal calls. Some of you know me and called me and and um to hear how this podcast has helped you find a sense of meaning to what you're going through or words put to the things that you're going through. Um and I think that's whoever you are, wherever you are, you're God is with you and we're with you. And I, I pray and hope that you will look around and identify the people who are living with you too. Not necessarily physically in their house. They may not be the people who live with you in reality, but the people who are living with you in your life, along your life. And if you need help finding someone to live with you, I hope you'll reach out to us because we can help connect you to a community of people. Um, who can live with you.
1: And we want you mm-hmm. to experience that. Amen again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I, think I'm really grateful once again for our conversation and for your thoughts and giftings and um, friendships. So uh, once again, ending another podcast, extremely grateful and uplifted. Maybe we need to record these on Mondays so that I can, Launch this into my week instead of just my weekend.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I need to launch into my weekends feeling
1: renewed. <laughs> need a little break. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I, yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna go to the gas station and I'm gonna get a hot dog and I'm gonna sit outside and I'm gonna watch baseball and finish up my work for the week before the weekend. <laughs> and I'm very excited about it. I'm. Very that sounds
0: excited.
2: like I just want to affirm you in that decision. That's a good, solid decision. (laughs) It's a big one, with with the exception that eating hot dogs is not a good decision in a long term health scenario. But in
1: moderation, I I understand the risk factors of the hot dog, which is good. (laughs) Uh, Also, want to say too, um, big thanks to Justin Patton uh, for producing uh, this episode and all of our other episodes and thanks again, Lindsay and Michael for your time. And uh, thank you to you for listening for all of your feedback and comments. We have really felt like we've been able to get better at this uh, and more effective because of your feedback and your comments. And if you uh, have the time and you don't mind just dropping a little review, you don't have to write much uh, or just like doing a little star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're, Uh, finding yourself listening to this, um, it helps us to understand more how we should focus our time and our energy and allows us to kind of share a message that we feel like is important. We felt like this was important for us internally and that it was worth recording and sharing, which is why we do this. So if you have folks that you feel like And these kinds of conversations would be helpful to have a safe place to kind of be a fly on the wall. Uh, That's kind of the point of this podcast is that uh, you don't have to feel the pressure to respond, but you certainly have the ability to. So uh, hopefully this is able to spark our hearts and our spirits and our souls uh, into being able to feel empowered to make decisions and not be alone. So please feel free to share uh, the podcast if there's a topic that you feel like resonates with somebody or just a clip. Uh, we really appreciate it because it really helps us understand more what to focus on uh, and, uh, and just helps us to kind of uh, spend our time in a way that we feel like is, is more helpful and more honoring to your time for listening, which we very much appreciate and, and covet. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, Lindsay and Michael. And we'll see you all next week.
0: Thank you again for listening to our show. We hope the conversation that you've just heard makes you feel understood and gives you hope. If you have questions that you would like to have discussed on this podcast, it's easy to reach out to us. All you have to do is find us on social media. We're on Facebook at the not alone podcast and on Instagram at the not alone pod. Listen, if you have thoughts and questions, we would love to hear them. That's at the not alone podcast on Facebook and the not alone pod on Instagram. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.